Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor, working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode 23, The Grace of Discomfort. Hey everybody, here we are, our first more conventional episode of the Awareness Offerings podcast in a while. The last couple weeks have been unconventional in that we did a mini meditation a couple weeks ago for Diwali, and then last week I recorded a full-length episode, a return to our traditional format, and then realized after it was done that I had recorded on the computer microphone and not my podcasting microphone. Um, So I rolled with it, and last week's episode was a little different too. So we're kind of grounded back in the classical format of this podcast here this week, and I'm really glad to be here with you, but also glad for the moments that we get to write together into the unconventional because that's part of this too so either way thank you for being here and as always if you'd like to support what's going on here on the show you can do so by rating or and or reviewing the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen which just helps more people find it and if you feel called to share on social media or by word of mouth I am honored by that and as always just as honored to have you here and to share and talk about yoga philosophy and share meditation with you it's pretty cool I'm struck by how cool it is that we get to be here. So with that said, let's be here. Let's go into this episode with our traditional, our classical, our shared opening ritual of singing the sound of Om one time. Om means consciousness. When we make the sound, it vibrates, and Om is said to be the fundamental vibration of consciousness and awareness. So when we sing Om, we're asking for that, we're asking to embody that. And this is the Awareness Offerings podcast, so we ask to embody awareness to begin. As always, you can do this by singing out loud or by listening. And if you're coming along, I'll invite you to get your body into a comfortable position. You might soften your gaze, either by closing your eyes completely or gazing down the tip of your nose or at the floor, only if it's safe and comfortable for you to do so. I'll invite you to take a deep breath in through your nose if nostril breathing is possible for you today. Exhale through your nose, just clearing some space for awareness. And take a deep breath in for one sound of OM. Thank you for joining me in that practice. And now for this week's discussion. And this particular discussion topic, the grace of discomfort, has been on the list of things I wanted to talk about and explore on this podcast for a while, really since the summer. 
And when I talk about the grace of discomfort, I'm talking about the discomfort that arises when we make mistakes. <laughs> and this came up at first this summer because I made a mistake, but I continue to make mistakes since then. And that kind of discomfort has kind of circled back around in my life and so too did the idea to talk about this because uh, it remains relevant. And uh, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about the grace of discomfort. <laughs> and again, it's, it's the discomfort that arises particularly when we make a mistake. And the first time I really engaged with this, that first mistake that I made in the summer of this year was locking myself out of my house. <laughs> I just moved into a new house this year and I typically lock the door by turning the lock on the knob. My keys stay up on a key ring holder that my roommate and I have hung on the wall in our kitchen. And you can imagine that that sometimes creates the conditions in which I do not grab the keys, but do lock the knob. <laughs> and that happened for the first time over the summer, locked, my, locked myself out of my house. And I had to call on a lot of different people for help. I had to ask a good friend of mine who happened to have a spare key to take time out of her day to bring it over. And even when that happened, I still ran out of time to get where I needed to go. I was leaving the house because I was supposed to teach a yoga class about 45 minutes to an hour from my house. And it became clear that that was not going to happen. I wasn't going to be able to make it in time because I locked myself out. So I also had to call on some folks that work at the beloved yoga studio that I teach at in North Georgia called Yoga Sila. Uh, and I had to call on them to, to help me out. I had to kind of scramble to get someone to sub for me. And the people I called on showed up for me. I It all worked out. I was taken care of and they helped me. And even though that is a really supportive outcome and there's a lot of love there that I could see then and can see now, I was still... So my, my internal experience was so sticky. I felt terrible. I felt heavy. I felt shameful because I had disrupted the day of several people in a pretty significant way, or at least it felt significant in my own internal narrative. And, you know, there, there, we can debate forever on, you know, the, the actual, the, um, the accuracy of our internal narratives, but that's what it felt like. I felt like I had just disrupted the day for so many people. And my instinct was to just apologize. I wanted to apologize over and over. And to certain people, I had apologized already. And once is certainly enough in a lot of scenarios, especially um, when we're just asking folks for help. But I kept wanting to apologize again and just keep reiterating, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I disrupted your day. And I, even as I noticed that reaction in myself, I was onto myself a little bit. I could see what was happening, um, but I still felt the need to just keep apologizing. And I talked to my mom about it on the phone because I let her know she would not be seeing me because I typically go to Yoga Sila to teach and my parents live close by. So I go to see them on the days I teach and I called to let her know that wasn't going to happen because I locked myself out of my house and I ran out of time. And I told her about the way that I felt so bad for disrupting people's days to um, get this situation taken care of for myself and how I kept you know, wanting to apologize. And I was already sort of talking myself through it on the phone with her, just saying, I know that that's not actually logical. I know it's not actually going to help anything if I just keep apologizing. It's done. And as she talked to me about my feelings, my mom offered this insight, this really powerful insight that I have remembered and written down and thought about to this day, especially as mistakes and discomfort continue <laughs> to this day. And she said to me, you don't owe everyone the world for one mistake. 
you don't owe everyone the world for one mistake. And she was right. And there was a part of me that knew that already as I observed these feelings of shame and wanting to over-explain and over-apologize. And I, you know, I realized that I, part of the shame um, came from a discomfort with being taken care of and not kind of feeling worthy of that and feeling like I now owe people for taking care of me and especially around a mistake. And I, I had some awareness of that, but hearing my mom say it out loud in such a clear and um, just succinct and insightful way really opened up the door of my mind and heart <laughs> around it. You know, you don't owe everyone the world for one little mistake. And that allowed me to really name and see the feelings I was having clearly, because of course there was this frantic desire to apologize and the shame, but that clarified the root of those feelings. There was a deeper space that they were coming from. And it was this unworthiness, this feeling like I made a mistake. I wasn't perfect. And yet people helped me out anyway. I was taken care of. People actually worked me into their day and put down other things for me. And I now owe them because I'm not just worth that as I am. I now owe them. I need to kind of do penance for this. So that was the root. And that helped me really see that for myself and see where my my stuff, my um, internal patterns and narratives that aren't necessarily true were coming up in that moment. This unworthiness and feeling like I really owe people for taking care of me, especially when I've made a mistake and demonstrated I'm not perfect, i.e. not worthy of being taken care of. But I also, in sort of reckoning with those feelings and recognizing them for what they were, that that was able to clear some space in my mind, you know, clear out some of the confusion and energy that was going toward that process. Uh, and it cleared some space in my mind for me to realize that that wasn't the only thing that was going on in this moment. There was something else at play, something maybe even more subtle and maybe a little trickier than just the unworthiness mind. And I say just the unworthiness mind with an acknowledgement that it's no small thing. <laughs> it's its own full experience, which is why I didn't realize this second factor at play until I kind of resolved that within myself. Because the unworthiness mind is no small thing. But even more insidious than that, there was something else going on. And it was my unwillingness to be in discomfort. An unwillingness to be in discomfort. And that one is harder, um, stickier, less comfortable to reckon with than our unworthiness mind. Because in my experience, and this is just anecdotal, this is um, things I've learned and observed in myself and in things around me as I've moved through the world. But in my experience, when we think about our unworthiness mind, even though it's painful and it's heavy and it makes us feel constricted and small a lot of the time, there's still an element, it it invites a little bit of self-compassion because we're able to see, oh, you know, I have lived in a world that is unfair in so many ways and oppressive for for some of us, uh, you know, people with marginalized identities and a world that holds a lot of pain. And I can't avoid that. And because I've I've come up and I've developed in a world of pain. I've developed some some coping mechanisms and some responses that are not necessarily rooted in truth, like unworthiness. But 
Our unworthiness mind can often invite us to see where we've been in pain and have compassion for ourselves. So even though it is not easy by any means, it's still a little more comfortable for us to examine. But our unwillingness to be with discomfort, which is the other thing, the other kind of tricky pattern of the mind that was at play in this situation where I made a mistake, that's a little less comfortable, no pun intended, or maybe pun intended, it's a little less comfortable to examine. Because it's not necessarily a result. And now as I'm saying this out loud, I'm actually, I'm rethinking it. Because I was about to say it's not necessarily as a result of pain. But of course it is. Because, you know, not wanting to be uncomfortable is a way of wanting to protect ourselves from things that don't feel good. And pain doesn't feel good. So um, it's not to say it doesn't um, come from pain. But it just it doesn't quite invite as much self-compassion, at least in my experience, because it's a little its a little less, at least the way that I'm speaking about it, it's a little less about the, the ways we've been hurt and a little more about the ways that we are feeding into our own small mind and keeping ourselves small and contributing to stuckness and smallness within ourselves. There's a little more, we are a little more responsible for our unwillingness to be with discomfort than we are our unworthiness mind because it's the, the unwillingness to be discom- be with discomfort or be in discomfort is a little more of an us thing. It's not quite as much about what we've experienced in the world. It's a little more about what we choose to do with it and how we choose to feed our minds kind of small reactions around things. So you know, I locked the keys out of the, I locked myself out of the house. I had to call on some folks I love to help me. And they did. I felt this overwhelming need to apologize it away. One, because of my unworthiness mind. But then when I recognized that, I realized that there was also this unwillingness to be uncomfortable at play. And that one is less comfy to look at again, because it is, it's a little more about how we respond Um, And we have a little more agency. We have a little more responsibility for our willingness or unwillingness to be with discomfort. And what kind of led me to understand that this was about unwillingness to be with discomfort is when I got past the unworthiness mind, I was, I I had the, the mental and emotional space to ask myself, what am I actually trying to do here? Aside from reacting from a place of unworthiness, what does my mind think the goal is here when I want to just apologize over and over for being taken care of in a moment when I made a mistake? And in reflecting on that, I came to understand that what I'm trying to do is make the feelings I feel around this mistake go away. I want to apologize enough so that somebody tells me it's okay. So I no longer have to feel kind of the friction, the stickiness that comes when we know we kind of fucked up a little bit, which happens and doesn't make us bad, but it does sometimes mean that there are better ways for us to be moving through the world. So it can make us feel a little sticky and imperfect when we make mistakes. And I was trying to get someone to tell me it's okay. So I no longer had to feel the stickiness of my imperfection. And that's not really fair. The more that I thought about it then and as I think about it and discuss it and explore it here with you now, it's not really fair. Because what we're asking other people to do when we over-apologize for our mistakes and really for our humanness, what we're asking people to do is to fix it for us, to take care of it for us, 
They've already, most likely in a scenario like this, when we've made a mistake, they've already, they've already shown up for us. They've already shown love and care for us by taking care of us in the moment of a mistake. And by over-apologizing, we're asking them to keep that kind of mental and emotional labor going and keep taking care of us by then fixing our feelings for us and being responsible for our feelings and making them go away. And it kind of has the opposite effect of what we're trying to do. Because, you know, when I was thinking of apologizing over and over to the people who helped me out when I locked myself out of the house, what I what I thought I wanted to do was make it better. I wanted to let them know how much I appreciated it and say I'm sorry so that they... Um, I, I just, I wanted to make their lives easier in some way by saying I was sorry, but it kind of has the opposite effect because I'm still asking to be taken care of um, by being unwilling to feel my feelings and trying to ask someone else to soothe them for me. And so that these are kind of the understandings I've come to about our willingness or, or unwillingness to be dis- to be with discomfort in the past few months is that unwillingness to be with discomfort is often manifests as trying to get other people to take care of our feelings for us. And what that implies is that on the opposite end of the spectrum, a willingness to be with discomfort is kind of a radical presence. It's a radical willingness to be in the present moment when the present moment doesn't feel good. And especially because the present moment doesn't feel good because of something we did, something we're responsible for. And rather than trying to kind of avoid the responsibility for our actions in the moment and just the way that we feel in our own lives and put that on someone else to take care of us, it also implies a radical responsibility for ourselves. And I don't mean radical responsibility for ourselves in the way that denies our interdependence. Because obviously, as you know, one of the lessons of this story is that I had to depend on other people to take care of me and I had to accept that care and my own responsibility for the situation. But it points to the fact that we are inherently connected to each other. So I don't mean radical responsibility for ourselves in that, you know, individual responsibility in the very loaded way that it's often used in our culture today, that we don't have to take care of one another. We don't have to consider one another. We don't have to help get each other free. Don't mean it like that. I just mean radical responsibility for our experience of life in a way that doesn't kind of tell a false narrative to ourselves around it or put it on anyone else. Just a willingness to hold our own lives, which in the end helps take care of other people because we're not making other people feel our feelings for us. So this willingness to be with discomfort, it implies a radical presence and a radical responsibility for ourselves. And I'm aware that I've titled this episode, The Grace of Discomfort, because what all of this speaks to, to me, is the fact that when we are willing to be uncomfortable, especially around our mistakes and accepting help from others, we show grace to both ourselves and the other people. We are gracious to those who have helped us by accepting what they've offered while not asking for any more labor and acknowledging, you know, their own kind of time and space and what they need by not putting our shit onto them. And we show grace to ourselves because we we are willing to accept who we are in the moment because by trying to make other people make us feel better about our feelings, what we're actually telling ourselves is we're not acceptable. 
we are, we're reinforcing that unworthiness mind, that initial layer of a reaction to a mistake like I've talked about here. We're reinforcing that by saying, oh, yep, you're definitely not worthy. Um, it's not worth it for you to be who you are right now and feel how you feel. You need to change yourself because you've made the, this mistake. Instead, we allow ourselves the grace of being who we are and being messy. And like I said, the reason that I'm talking about this now, even though the lockout incident and subsequent initial kind of exploration and learning around this topic, around the grace of discomfort, even though it happened several months ago, mistakes continue to happen. Things continue to come up. Discomfort continues to be a part of my human experience. And I can only imagine that those things are probably true for you. I, you know, last week I busted a tire Um, Also had to rely on folks to take care of me and didn't show up as my best self in some situations because of it. And this week I made a work mistake, which was easily fixable. Excuse me, there's that air bubble, one air bubble per podcast. Um, But mistake that was easily fixable. But it was about kind of a sensitive topic. And so I felt a lot of heaviness around it. And, you know, there's just been the the unfolding of this podcast, the way that last week's episode, the sound quality was, was low, but I posted it and shared it with you anyway. These things continue to happen, and I continue to be uncomfortable with my own mistakes. But I can notice that there is a greater awareness, even if I do still slip back into that pattern of wanting other people to take care of my feelings for me. Because I want to affirm that's very human. I want to be gracious toward myself and toward all of us who do this. It's really human. But even though I slip back into that pattern sometimes, there's a greater awareness around it. I can often acknowledge it to myself and sometimes even even the other people involved in situations with me kind of in real time and I can continue to grow um, kind of away from that pattern of being unwilling to take that radical responsibility and be radically present for my experience of life as a service to myself and to other people. So that's the grace of discomfort for me. And now we get to practice it. As per usual, we, we put these topics, we get out of our minds and into our embodied experience, which is one of the goals and the kind of intentions of yoga practice and the spiritual path, which is what this podcast is based in. Uh, one of the goals is getting out of the mind and into embodied experience. And we do that by kind of moving away from these, from, from discussion of topics into practicing in ways that help us embody what we're talking about. And what we're really talking about here is a willingness to be stretched I know that I didn't really mention yoga philosophy or the spiritual path explicitly as I told those stories and offered those reflections for this week's discussion, but it's all deeply inherently connected because the willingness to be uncomfortable is a willingness to be stretched and stay present anyway. And in so many yoga practices, you know, even if we just think of the kind of, um, familiar asana the physical yoga practice and the meditation practice you know they're willing we are willing to be stretched physically mentally spiritually and still be present with it so that's what we're doing here when we talk about the grace of discomfort and now we're going to do it through a breath meditation this is the part in the podcast where we sit for contemplative practice and if you're doing anything that makes it unsafe or un- just not feasible for you to do that right now, feel free to pause the pod and then just come back when you have time to sit. If you're coming along now, I will invite you to get your body into a comfortable seat. 
which as always is any seat at all where you can lengthen your spine. Whether you're sitting on the floor, on a chair, on your bed, whether you have props, blankets, pillows, cushions under your tailbone or knees, sitting with your back against the wall, whether your legs are crossed or not, wherever your arms and hands are, just finding a long spine. The spine is the central line of your body and lengthening it allows things to move and connect more freely. As you find that, I'll invite you to close your eyes or again, soften your gaze however you need to, whether that's by gazing down the tip of your nose or just looking softly at the floor. Doing what feels safe and supportive for you to kind of deprioritize the external for now so that you can move into the space of the internal, the place where we are present the place that we can return to when we are stretched to remember what is real and what is true. Turning inward. You might turn towards your breath as you do this as a supportive practice for continuing to cultivate present moment awareness. Just watching as your inhales move in and out through your nostrils like you would watch the ocean or the sky. Not changing or analyzing, but observing and feeling. But you don't have to do that with your breath. If your breath is not the most supportive practice for you, you can choose to focus on perhaps a sound that you can hear in the room, the feeling of the air on your skin or your clothes on your skin. Anything that's happening right now that turns you toward the present moment. And that will be our practice to begin, just simply turning toward the present moment. And of course, your mind will do its best to turn you away from the present moment because it likes the constant um, motion of thoughts rather than simple presence. So if you notice the thoughts come up, first of all, it's a place of practice being willing to be uncomfortable because it's not not fun to be trying to be present in the moment and have your mind be interrupting. But you can also come back. You can come back from your thoughts as soon as you notice them and as many times as you need to. There are a lot of different tools for doing this. Today, I will offer you the the tool from my my teacher's teacher, the master teacher of my yoga lineage, Majaya Sati Bhagavati, who would say, who would teach her students to just say stop. Not with harshness or judgment, but just neutral, maybe a little loving, stop. When you notice your thoughts, you say stop. You kind of stop the train and you turn your awareness back toward the moment. And again, you can do that as many times as you need to. When you notice it, you say stop and you turn back to your breath or to whatever is grounding you in the present moment experience right now. And it's a tool that works in this formal practice and in those moments in life where we are moving through and the mistakes happen, the discomfort comes up and the narratives of unworthiness or unwillingness come up and we can say stop and we can sit with what's what it's really about. What's really what information our minds and hearts are really giving us about how we feel. And then we can allow those feelings just like we allow ourselves to feel what we feel in the present moment with breath with awareness.
And from this space of awareness, we'll move into breath meditation. We're going to do a pranayama practice where we kind of purposefully change the pattern of the breath to engage with ourselves in a different way. So this particular breath is an even ratio breath, and it does involve holding the breath in and pausing with the breath out, period, or um. I don't know the word that I was looking for, but it involves those things. <laughs> um, so first of all, the reason that I'm choosing this breath is because it can be uncomfortable and stretch us to hold the breath. And that is an embodied way to be willing to be uncomfortable, to kind of be in those moments of the non-breath. However, uncomfortable is very different from emotionally or physically painful. It's very different from something that activates a trauma response that activates our nervous system in a really, in a way that's not okay. I'm not encouraging those things at all. So if you already know that holding your breath is not the practice for you, what I will encourage you to do is just take some belly breaths here and feel an expansion of your belly in and out, kind of pressing out on your inhale and squeezing a little on your exhale And because we don't breathe from our bellies in this world we live in, we often breathe in a shallow and stressed out way, that can bring us into a relationship with discomfort and that can be a way to do this. So if you already know you don't want to hold your breath, that's fine and just do a belly breath. If you get into the practice and you think you want to try holding your breath and it doesn't feel good, go to the belly breath. You can take breaks from this practice, start and stop. But the intention is to just for about four beats in a moment at a time to be in the discomfort of the non-breath as an embodied engagement with feelings of discomfort. This ratio breath is also balancing. It offers some balance for the nervous system, the brain, the body. And so we might also benefit just from a general recalibration in this practice. So I will count. You don't have to worry about it. We're going to even the breath. We'll inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, and hold for four for a few minutes together. I'll keep the pace, and you can go at whatever pace you need to. I'll invite you to take a deep breath in. Hold. Exhale. Hold. Inhale, hold, exhale, hold, inhale, hold, exhale, hold, inhale. Hold, exhale, hold, inhale, hold, exhale, hold, inhale, hold. Exhale, hold, inhale, hold, 
exhale hold inhale hold exhale hold inhale hold exhale hold inhale hold exhale hold three more hold exhale hold inhale hold exhale hold last time inhale hold exhale hold and then just let the breath come in and out and do what it does releasing that rhythm of the ratio breath and i'll invite you to do kind of a debrief with yourself here asking yourself as, as if you would ask someone you care about how they're doing after a big deep difficult whatever it might be after an emotional experience ask yourself what was that like what was it like for you to engage with little bite-sized pieces of what might be discomfort just what we're not used to in holding the breath what is stretching for you and what are you learning about your capacity to stretch enough not to hurt yourself but to be radically present even in the moments that are uncomfortable just sitting with whatever arises, whatever you notice you're feeling in that with yourself. And I'll invite, I'll invite you to take a deep breath in through your nose. And a grounding sigh out through your mouth. Two more. And one. You can begin to blink your eyes open when you're ready. You might move around just doing what you need to do to return from the space of formal meditation. 
And I'm so curious about what you learned, what you discovered, what you feel about your relationship to discomfort. And to me, the grace involves taking that out, as we so often talk about, from the formal space of your practice into the way that you are willing to be radically present in your life. It matters, and I am deeply grateful for your willingness to explore it both with me today and within yourself. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Laura Tara, L-A-U-R-A-T-A-R-A, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Oxella Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram.